Welcome to the river. Uh, my name is Joel, and I'm a part of the uh, the dream team here at the river. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited to be here with you today. Uh, typically, you'd be hearing from our pastor, Mike. He's actually officiating a wedding in South Georgia. All right, so pray for him. He's down in South Georgia. He's way far away. Mike, when you listen to this on the podcast this week, we want to just let you know we're excited that you're back, and uh, this is a message from the past. Uh, and so, yeah. So, Man, I'm excited today. Uh, if you if you've been tracking with us, we've been in the book of John. All right, this is one of the 66 books of the Bible. Uh, you can go ahead and turn to John. We're going to be in John nine today. Um, but before I do that, tomorrow is Memorial Day, and we I, I just want you to know on behalf of the River Church and uh, all of us here, uh, we want to just thank those of you who have served in our military. We know that in our church we have people who have served and sacrificed their lives to to protect us and give us freedom. So we want to thank you guys so much for, for that, your sacrifice. My great-grandfather was in World War I. He was a, he was a, a medic. And then also my grandfather was on an aircraft carrier offshore when, uh, when uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed. And so uh, people who are in the military, it's close to me. And I just want you to know that we're thankful for you and we recognize the sacrifice. Uh, and, and we just want to let you know that, uh, that we love you. And we're excited that we have people who serve and have served as a part of our church. It's awesome. We just feel safer. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, and uh, and so, yeah. So Mike's at a wedding. Um, we're going to be in John 9. And I'm actually, I know this. some people aren't big on this, but I'm actually going to read the entire chapter. Oh, Lord. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, definitely get those out. We're going to put it up on the screen, I believe. Uh, if you're like me and you have a hard time sitting still, uh, just go ahead. This is a good time to get out your fidget spinners. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 9, all right? And we're going to start there. Here we go. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him. Washed in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, He's the one. Others were saying, No, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went, I washed, I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. And then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, what did you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. 
They asked them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, Jesus, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So the second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. But the one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I can see. And then they asked him, what did he do to you? Uh, how did he open your eyes? He said, I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're the man's disciple, and we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told him. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened the eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely of sin, they replied. And are you trying to teach us? And then they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown out the man, and when he found him, he asked this, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, you've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see uh, will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, are we blind too? Or excuse me, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sinned. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for your word. God, we're excited to just get into this message because, Lord, in this story, because you did an incredible thing in the life of this man, God, and you're doing incredible things in our lives, and we recognize that. So this morning, God, just make this story come alive to us in such a way that, Lord, we can't deny that you are at work in our life. We love you, and we ask all this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. What a crazy story. I, we're going to get into it uh, here in a minute, but I just want you to understand the significance of the story. All right, so I'm about to geek out on you guys for a minute, okay, because this is something that I love. All right, so Jesus and his homeboys are showing up at the Feast of the Tabernacles, okay? And uh, just real quick, I don't mean any offense when I say homeboys. That's a little just throwback to where I'm from, but also it just humanizes this experience, all right? The disciples were Jesus' friends, okay? These were, they, they, they hung out. They were, uh, they were his pupils. And so, yeah, his homeboys, they show up to Jerusalem and Judea during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And this is, this is what's crazy to me. The Feast of the Tabernacles, if you're unfamiliar with this, uh, is a Jewish festival where like 1.5 million people show up to Jerusalem and Judea. This isn't just like, this isn't like a, a fun little birthday party. This ain't like a cute little event. This isn't even like the Texas State Fair. We're talking 1.5 million people p taking the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. All right, so Jesus is rolling up with his homeboys to the festival. All right, and it's a big deal. The reason that I kind of geek out on this for a minute is because of this. The festival in Jewish heritage is to celebrate an experience that the Hebrew people had in the wilderness. 
If you go throw back to the Old Testament, you find out, and you can read all about this. I'm not making this up. There was, God set up a tabernacle. Hebrew people had, had been rescued from Egypt by the hand of God. They were in the wilderness, and God set up this, this opportunity and way to commune with his people. And he said, I want you to build this tabernacle, a mobile temple, if you will. And there's all these kind of like specifications. And what God would do is while they were traveling in the wilderness, God would come down and meet with the, the priests and the Levites and those who ran the temple. And you can, you can get in all the specifics. There was the, the courtyard, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And God would come and rest on the Ark of the Covenant. And he would commune and talk with the priests and the Levites. He would talk to them and have communication with them. There was a living God that could, that could talk and breathe and speak. And so anyway, it was incredible. And so the Jews are celebrating this experience in the wilderness. If you go fast forward, uh, a temple was built in Jerusalem. And during, around the time of the exile, uh, the Spirit of God left the temple. So no longer could man commune with a living God that would meet with them. All right, now God had left the temple. And so this celebration is celebrating that communion with God that they had in the wilderness, but also a prayer. God, we long for the day that you would return to the temple. This is why this is such an awesome story. It's because the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples showed up at the temple. No longer was there, God was not gone from the temple. They just didn't see it. They were blind. God, 100% man, 100% God, and Jesus shows up at the temple. All right, so we read it and we're just like, Jesus showed up at the temple, the feast of the tabernacles. No, no, no. God showed up at the festival. God showed up. They've been longing for this. But it's interesting, isn't it? Their response to when God shows up in the temple. This has been a prayer for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And God shows up in the temple. And so anyway, it's just crazy. You know, uh, what's what also happens in this, if you go back, and we've kind of been walking through John, and if you've been here, you've heard these stories, and I'm just going to touch on this, but Jesus shows up at the temple. He's with his disciples, and there's some things that happen, and I'm going to be honest with you. The Pharisees aren't really excited about this. If you know Pharisees at all, religious people struggling, all right, and Jesus shows up, and he kind of is, is for lack of a better, putting these Pharisees in their place, okay? These are religious people who think they got it made, and they're struggling, right? And Jesus is like, look, you, you got issues. And so and so he does something in- interesting. At one point, you guys remember, they the Pharisees go, and they get a woman caught in adultery, and they pull her out in the street, and all these guys are about to stone her, and they say, Jesus, you know, what do we, what do we need to do with this person? She was caught in adultery. And uh, he says something interesting, which is like fire. I love this. He just says, he without sin cast the first stone, and he leans over, and he starts drawing in the sand. And uh, I love it because, like, scholars, they've argued for hundreds of years what he was doing. Some say he was doodling. As an artist myself, to think that God himself was drawing is just a beautiful thing. But also, some people say, this is the most popular one, that that the reason that the people began to drop their rocks, the Pharisees, one by one, starting with the oldest, was that maybe he was writing their names in the sand and their sin next to their names. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that, but I'm just, in my mind, I'm, I'm imagining, wow. And so these guys begin to drop their rocks one by one, and they begin to leave. He says, where are your accusers? And she's like, I have none. And he's like, I don't accuse you either. Go. The one who had the right to accuse her 
doesn't accuse her. So he's like shaking up the festival. Like this is crazy stuff happening at the temple in the festival. The Pharisees are just on fire. It, they, they're kind of frustrated with this whole situation. Naturally, how many of you guys gotten, you know, chastised by your parents? You know they were right, right? You know they were right, but you just didn't want to hear it. This is kind of the same experience the Pharisees are having. They know that Jesus is right about their life, but they just don't want to hear it. it just makes them so angry. And so Something else happens here. Jesus actually, in at, at chapter 8, he says a couple of things. He says, he calls the Pharisees liars. He says that they're lying. They say that they love God, but they don't. He says that they're not children of God. So that they're like pretty frustrated and upset about how dare you say that. Um, Jesus knows their heart. And then it kind of culminates to this moment where I'm like, wow, this is crazy. They're saying, we're children of Abraham. We're children of Moses. Who are you? We don't even know who you are. And he makes that statement, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. That's a big statement. All right, I think, I think Mike may have touched on that before. He says, I am. If you've ever heard and studied the names of God, I am is his eternal name. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But when he references himself as the I am, uh, that means that that's his eternal name. Not only that, Jesus knows who he's talking to. He knows that these men have studied the ancient scriptures, the ancient texts of Moses. And if you remember the story, Moses leaves Egypt, right? He, he kills a man. He runs and escapes. He's hanging out in the wilderness with Jethro, uh, his future father-in-law, and uh, Zipporah, and they're out there kicking it. He becomes a shepherd. He's walking up into the mountains, and then he comes up on a burning bush. Do you guys remember the story? Burning bush, he says, hey, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. He takes them off, and him and God begin to have a conversation. And in that conversation, uh, God's like, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. He's like, but, 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 but God, I got a speech impediment. <laughs> and God's like, I don't really care about that. He, and he's like, well, when I go, who do I say sent me? And God through the burning bushes, I am that I am. So now they're at the festival and Jesus shows up and he says that he is God, that great I am. Oh, dude, that, that sends him over the edge. Sends him over the edge. The scripture says they pick up rocks. They're about to stone this guy. And, uh, and Jesus, because it's not his time, he slips away. And so I, there's some conflict here, all right? And so all this, all this has kind of happened right before 9, and we get into 9. If you look at chapter 9, uh, some of you, the title, it says, uh, Healing a Man Born Blind. If you uh, have studied Jesus and the scriptures, you know this. He loves to speak in parables. Some of y'all are straight confused when I am too. I read in parables, I'm like, uh, sometimes I don't know. I really got to dig because I'm not that smart. And, uh, and he also speaks with object lessons. And what's interesting is uh, I believe, and I think the scripture, the scripture proves this, that, that he uses these healings and these miraculous things to, to teach us a lesson. A lot of times he heals blind people. He usually, if you want to you can write this down, he usually uses a physical representation of a spiritual truth. So he's about to teach an object lesson here when he approaches this man, all right? And he often, oftentimes would heal blind people. Do you guys remember blind Bartimaeus? There's a story in the Bible in the book of Mark where he, there's a blind man there, okay? And he's, he's hanging out. He hears all the commotion. He heard that Jesus is coming. And he, he uses a name for God that isn't used again in the book of Mark anywhere. In fact, it's a name that spoke straight to the divinity of God 
the divinity of Jesus. And he cries out in his blindness. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus comes over and heals him. And so he's, Jesus oftentimes would heal uh, blind people uh, in, the, in the scriptures. And we know that to be an object lesson. Because if you're like me, before I ever encountered Jesus or experienced God, it was almost as if I was blind. The other interesting thing about this text in 9 is that the man doesn't have a name. A lot of times when you read the scripture, if there's a, if there's a story where there's not a name, I always make it my practice to kind of inject my name in there, to kind of put myself in this place, in this, in this place of this, this person. And so as we're kind of reading the text, I want to challenge you to kind of put your, uh, your name here when we talk about this blind man. And so let's just get into it. Jesus approaches this blind beggar. So in verse 1, uh, well, let me just say this. Church people aren't always that smart. We're kind of dumb sometimes. Ain't nobody want to agree. Nobody wants to own that. We are dumb sometimes, yes. Uh, we're not always that smart. Uh, his disciples ask a question that, man, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the dumbest, it was pretty close to a number 10 on this. Uh, he asked, they ask a question that I really think reveals their heart. Okay, he says this, who sinned, the man or his parents? I don't know. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, how, how is it that a man who was born blind had sinned? Did he disrespect his parents in the womb? Did he steal something from the store? It's impossible. I don't know. I don't know. In my thought, I was just like, disciples, man, who, who asked that question? Was it Peter? Who asked that question? Because that's kind of a dumb question. Uh, whose sin was it? You know, it was a tradition that oftentimes to explain suffering or maybe a, uh, a disability in a person's life, they were trying to blame it on somebody. And a lot of times they would, they would say that it was possible that a baby could sin against God in the womb. I, again, I'm not sure how that could happen. The other tradition was that if a person was born with a disability or struggling in some way, uh, it was the sin of the parents. Maybe the parents sinned and the sin was passed down. Regardless of, of this, they were trying to play the blame game. We always want to blame somebody for our suffering, don't we? What we're going through. We're trying to blame somebody. Mm. Uh, this is totally side note. My sister's in the building. I just remember all the times we got in arguments, we'd be blaming each other. Terrible. So bad. We always want to blame somebody for it. Oftentimes, we blame other people because we think we're above it. I mean, think about the disciples. They're like, mm. Now, who sinned here? Was it the, he or his parents? Like, they had never sinned before. He, they're trying to figure this one out. They're trying to look at everybody else, point the finger, but you got, you know, fingers pointing back at you. Uh, and so, again, I'm not sure which of the disciples asked this question. I can't help but think that maybe when the disciples asked this question, that God was about to prepare them for what was coming. Have you ever studied the disciples and what happened to them after Jesus ascended and left? the suffering they went through. I mean, it's gruesome. I'm talking gruesome. And I, I can't help but think that maybe Jesus is about to teach them a lesson about suffering because he knew that the disciples were going to go through some pretty painful experiences. And the last thing they needed to do was blame anyone, especially God. How many of us have blamed God for our suffering and for the things? Oh my gosh, God, why did you do this? What, what, why did you cause this? What are you, what are you doing? I don't understand why I'm suffering this way. And uh, uh, so really the question the disciples are asking are this. Disciples are asking, did God punish this man 
because of the sins or because of the sins of his parents. All right, that's the question. And Jesus answers. There's an answer to the question, and it's an interesting answer if you think about it. Because oftentimes we think of God up in heaven throwing lightning bolts at us, you know, and causing all the suffering and everything. Jesus says something interesting. He says, neither. He says, this, this exists as an opportunity that the works of God might be displayed in him. Maybe you're in what you would call suffering because God wants to be glorified in your situation. Oh, God. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. I mean, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. I've gone through some stuff in my life, and I have suffered, and it's hard to hear that. I wish, I wish I could point the fingers uh, at people or at God for the things that I've been through. Some of you guys know, I've told the story before about when I was paralyzed. I wish I could blame God for that. I wish I could blame somebody for that experience. And the only person I could blame is me. You know, I, I wish that I could blame God for the difficult things. And he's saying here, he said, it's neither. It's neither. Maybe he wants to be glorified in your situation, and, and, and it's a lot of times it's perspective. Maybe God wants to be glorified in your singleness. Maybe God wants to be glorified in your marriage. Maybe he wants to be glorified in that frustrating job situation. Something, isn't it funny how a lot of times we pray for these things, but we don't necessarily, we get them, and then now we're suffering? Gosh, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to work and I'm like, man, I'm back at work. Man, I was praying for a job. It's crazy. Maybe God wants to be glorified in your tough situation. Maybe he wants to be glorified in that sickness. Maybe there's something going on in your life that he wants to be glorified through it. Maybe it's an opportunity for God to act. Maybe the very thing you see as suffering or a mess is the very thing that God uses to reveal himself to you and everyone around you. Think about the text. If you look in 9, he says, uh, who sinned? He said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. Jesus answered, this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. This is why people think Christians are crazy. I mean, they think Christians are psychotic. And it's because in the midst of everything falling around, falling down around them, they're like, yep, I'm, about, I'm, getting, I'm being taught a lesson. This is a good thing. <laughs> Don't you agree? I've talked to people who have gone through some crazy stuff, and they're like, yeah, Lord's teaching me a lesson. This is, I'm so glad. I'm like, you are crazy. This is madness. It's just funny. Like, like I think about me and Katie, my wife, if you don't, you don't know us, my wife, she's serving over in Kids Creek with the kids this morning. And uh, this past year, we just had a baby. Whew. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's probably one of the most difficult experiences we have ever gone through. All right. I know some of y'all had great pregnancies and children. Y'all just floated on air. It was beautiful. Light shone from heaven. You were excited. Uh, you just woke up and you just looked beautiful every day. I don't know. But it was a, it's a difficult situation. It's difficult. And uh, for us, like I think about it, I'm thinking about the late nights. Oh, my gosh. The, like the lack of sleep. People would always ask me, how you doing? And they'd, they'd tell me this before. They'd be like, get your sleep now. You're going to need it. I'm like, Psh. Uh, you're a kid, man. I, I can stay up all night long. Now the sleep deprivation is a real thing. Like it's just madness. All right, what you go through? Dirty diapers. Uh, not only that, there's toys everywhere. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like it, how much you clean, there's just stuff everywhere. And I just think about this. Uh, we're born blind. A lot of times I look at those issues, and, and it's crazy. 
what God can do in a person's life. I, I hear stories about women who are excited to get up at night because they get to spend more time with the gift that God gave them. Like, they, they get excited about these opportunities. You know, I'm sitting in the living room, and I look at toys all over my house, and my frustration is like, man, my house is crazy. When God's looking at me and saying, yeah, you look at it as a mess, but I look at it as a product of a gift that you prayed for and I gave you. And there are people that can't have that gift. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I can just imagine 20 years from now, me and Katie are going to be sitting in the living room just crying like, God, I wish we had toys all over our house. I wish that we could have a little kid up in this house. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of times, what, what appears to be a mess, a, a frustrating thing, or something that, that you may be going through, oftentimes uh, is the thing that God wants to use to shape you. All right? I don't know if you're familiar with sea life. You guys, you guys like ocean stuff? I'm going to give you a little ocean uh, fact right now. You know anything about clams? You know, pearls? Pearls come from clams. Any ladies have a pearl necklace? I'm just trying to connect with people right now. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Cool. So you got pearl necklaces. That's awesome. Uh, you know how a pearl's made? A, a clam, a little grain of sand will get into a, a, a clam's mouth. I'm saying a mouth, <laughs> like their talk. Uh, wow. Uh, so a little grain of sand will get in there and it'll cause friction. And that friction then will cause a pearl, something beautiful. It's similar in our own lives. Think about your life for a minute. Look back on the hardest things you've ever been through. Hardest things you've ever been through. And those have been the moments, right, that you remember the most as a time that you grew or God showed you something incredible uh, that changed maybe the trajectory of your life. Wouldn't you agree? And sometimes it's just hard for us because we're, we're born blind. There's this preacher on television. He, we share a name. His name's Joel Osteen. Now, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I've never, I've heard so much garbage about the man. I feel bad for him. And I've never heard him preach. I just heard one sermon. And they say that he doesn't preach about Jesus. And they say that he's more of a motivational speaker. Whatever, whatever you feel about Joel Osteen. I watched one sermon. It was actually really good. He talked about Jesus. Yes, he was motivational. Uh, And, but he said this, it stuck in my head. I'll never forget it. He said, your greatest setback may be your greatest setup. I was like, oh, Joel, that was awesome. Like, think about it. Your greatest setback may be your greatest setup. And I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to help us open our eyes to the fact that God is doing a work in the midst of your situation. It's not easy to see that. It's not always comfortable. It's hard. But maybe he's trying to show us something, okay? I like it because in this text, they ask him this question. He answers neither. And there's kind of this, like, anticipation in, in what he says. He says, neither. He says, we're about to be about our father's business. Get ready. Okay? Because something's about to happen. A miracle is about to happen. Perhaps in your life, the reason you're going through something is because it's an opportunity that God might want to do a miracle in your life. Okay? I know I'm using the word miracle. A lot of people struggle with that word because we don't believe miracles still happen. Trust me, I'm a miracle. All right? You're looking at a miracle. Miracles happen in people's life, and you may be suffering, but maybe this is the catalyst. Something is about to happen in your life, and God wants to use it as an opportunity. This is what this text is about, uh, is about right here. All right? He says, let's be about our father's business. And here we go. We go into verse, I'm going to skip down to verse six real quick. Let's look at this man for a minute. This is fascinating. This man was born blind. Okay. He's never seen ever. 
it's hard for us to even comprehend that. This guy has never seen the sky. He's never seen a sunset. He's never seen a girl. He's never seen birds flying in the air. He's never seen a child. He has no idea the shape of things. You say tree, he has no clue what, to, what that even looks like. All right? So you got to get out of your mind like seeing eye dogs and braille and stuff like this. They don't have that. All right? Uh, and so, like, he, he's, been, he's been blind. Not only that, the, the, we've already experienced it. They think that he's sinful. And so he himself has been born blind. We don't know how old he is, but we can imagine he's been alive for a while. And so he probably thinks his life is worthless. I'm worthless. I can't work a job. That's why he's begging. I have no future. I'm struggling. This man is worthless. How many of you guys, before your encounter with Jesus, ever felt worthless? Yeah. I know I did. I, I lacked purpose. I felt worthless. I felt like I had no direction. And then this man has an encounter with Jesus. How many of you guys, after your encounter with Jesus, it changed your life? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is why this text is so beautiful, because this dude's world is about to get rocked. All right, let's just think about it for a minute, all right? There he is, the man, the blind man. He's in the dark. He's never seen a day in his life. He has an incredible sense of hearing, all right? Haven't you heard that before? People who are blind, to compensate for their lack of being able to see, they can hear really well. So he's hearing the commotion going on, right? He's probably heard people whisper the name of Jesus, Jesus, la, da, da, da. He doesn't know what's going on. And the beautiful thing is Jesus doesn't even speak to him. And, and all of a sudden, he's here, he's listening to all this coming, and all of a sudden he hears, <laughs> and so he's there. But you know what? This isn't strange to him. This isn't foreign to him. He's used to getting spit on. He's used to getting abused. He's a sinful man. People pass by him and spit on him. They think he's, uh, they think he's uh, you know, an enemy of God. They think he's, you know, a miserable, worthless person. So they, he's used to getting spit on. All of a sudden, he goes, <laughs> this time the loogie kind of, he senses the loogie was a little close to him this time, right? He hears it again. <laughs> the reason I say three times, really, it's not even in the text that Jesus spit three times. But the text does say he made mud. It takes some fluid to make mud. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't know. You spit on the ground, that's just like wet sand. I just feel like Jesus probably had to work at it to make some mud. Uh, and, and so anyway, I just that, that's just me. But think about it for a minute. Right after that, all right, this man, he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't see. Jesus hasn't spoke to him. Jesus is spitting on the ground. The disciples are like, Lord, help us. We don't even know this Jesus, man. He's losing his mind. We've been following him around at the festival. He's been calling people out. He's been doing this crazy stuff. Now you're spitting on the ground, Jesus? What is he about to do? And Jesus gets down on his knees. He does something incredibly humble. He gets down on his knees, and he picks up the dirt. Last time we saw this happen was in Genesis. Last time we saw God do something like this was in Genesis. Remember, he spoke everything into existence, but it says that God formed man out of the dirt of the earth, the dust of the earth, breathed life into him, and now God once again is reaching down and taking the sand, this dirt, and he does something that's just unreasonable. <laughs> it's just, he makes a mess. He makes a mess. You imagine seeing this picture? <laughs> it's crazy. He takes the mud, and he rubs it on the dude's eyeballs. Like, I, I just wish I was there just to see this. Like, what is he doing? He has lost his mind. 
He makes a mess. It's kind of funny. You know, if you look at the stories of the other blind men that Jesus encountered, why didn't he do that to the other guys? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he rub dirt in other people's, the other blind people's eyes? You know, I think that Jesus knows me. I think, I know that we're like thousands of years away from this text, but I feel like in this text, Jesus knows me. Because I feel like if he had gone and rubbed dirt in all those other guys' eyes, that I would worship the process more than I would worship the person of Jesus. Don't you think? Like, I, he knows us. He knows that we would be all about putting dirt. In, I, I, and we just can't be running around rubbing dirt in everybody's eyes. That just doesn't work that way. And I feel like Jesus knows us. I feel like that's why it's different every time. Your experience with God is different than the person next to you. And that's okay. And, and, and I feel like that's kind of part of uh, what we see here. But how many of you know there's a miracle in the mess? Jesus then does this. He leans over to the guy. He's never heard Jesus speak. He leans over to him in his ear and says, Now I want you to go to wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And this is kind of, if you think about this, the man doesn't know who Jesus was. Okay, he doesn't know who he is. No one walked up and was like, hey, Jesus is about to talk to you. Go to the pool of Siloam. No one, he doesn't know who this is, okay? He doesn't know what Jesus looks like. We don't know how far the pool of Siloam is, all right? And he still couldn't see. And that kind of makes me think, like, you know, in this process of experiencing God, maybe you're going through suffering, maybe you're going through something, there is an element of obedience. Because if you read ahead in the story, what if he didn't? What if he was like, nah? He's like, okay. He started what, trying to find his way to the pool of Siloam, and he went to his mom's house and got something to eat. What if he he would have never he would have never experienced the freedom? He would have never experienced vision. And so we don't know. He's just walking, kind of blindly. I was reading uh, what a lot of scholars say about this text. I was reading commentary and different things about this. Um, Jesus didn't simply give him sight, he gave him life. And this story, if you break it down, is our story. It's the story of how you right now in this day and age can experience God. We show up to God and we're blind. And a lot of us in here can attest to that. I was blind, but now I see. I, I couldn't really see the things of God. I was living a lifestyle that was just a cycle of destruction and self-destruction over and over and over. I was miserable, blind. Then God opened my eyes to my sin, and I realized I needed a Savior, right? And then the Bible teaches we go get baptized. I've been talking to Mike, and we've been, we've been dreaming and talking about what a baptismal service looks like. You know, and, and then the Scripture says you go and you get uh, uh, baptized, right? And then it's interesting, the text even calls the pool of Siloam sent. So God opens your eyes. You begin to follow him. You give your life to him. You're baptized, and then he sends you out. And, and this is what, the, what Jesus is trying to portray in the life of this guy, is the whole process of how we experience God today. I mean, I think, it's a, I think it's like a perfect picture. And if you've given your life to Christ in here, you know what happens right after. Right after you give your life to Jesus, you have an incredible experience with God. The haters show up, right? How many of you guys know what a hater is? You guys experience haters. Haters show up. Man, look at the text real quick. If you go into, let me take a look here. The man's testimony, uh, we're going to go to 8, verse 8. 
says his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said he's the one. Others were saying no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him the story. Now, these guys weren't necessarily haters, but isn't it true, like your friends and family, when you got saved, you gave your life to Jesus, they didn't really recognize you. Like, they recognized you. Like, some of them were like, yeah, that's the one. But he acts different. She, she acts different. She talks different. And that's true. When you come to Jesus and you give your life to him, he begins to shape you and mold you, and you start to look different to people, all right? Kind of look crazy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but he looks different. Right. And then so the neighbors couldn't really figure it out. They take it to the Pharisees, which oh, this is just a dramatic text. Like this is drunk. It's like a soap opera. It says they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Right. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was the Sabbath. You weren't supposed to heal on the Sabbath. All right. So already the Pharisees are like, this dude's a sinner. He's not following the law. There's another story where Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And he tells the Pharisees, is it better that I don't heal on the Sabbath or heal a person? You know, like, it's better that I actually heal somebody. And so he's healing on the Sabbath, right? The Pharisees, they are so upset. And they can't, they, this can't even be real. The Pharisees then, what they do is they get the parents involved. Oh, my gosh. They call up the parents. Hey, I need y'all down at the temple right now. The parents show up. All right? And they're like, hey, is this really your son? Was he really born blind? Because we don't believe it. We think all these people are crazy. Right, And the parents are a little freaked out because the, what they've been saying is if you, uh, if you claim to follow Jesus, we, you lose your church membership. You get kicked out the church. So the, the parents are scared. You saw the text. They're like, hey, this dude's a grown man. Go talk to him. Okay, we don't know anything. He's grown. Go talk to him. All right? And so then they pull in the man for a second time. They bring him back, and it says uh, – well, this is what's hilarious to me is the dude that's been born blind clowns on them so hard. Like, he clowns on them. Have you seen that? Like, read it. I'm going to go down to 25. He says, he answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? That's straight sarcasm. Like, honestly. I mean, that's like, that is, I, there's no way to interpret that other than sarcasm. Like, he's like, you don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Like, he's getting frustrated. He just told this guy several times, and they called his parents. Like, I'd be so frustrated. And then they ridiculed him. They said, yeah, you're the man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples, right? Because they're saying, we're better than you, all right? We know what's going on. And, and then he says, uh, we don't know. They say, we don't know. And then he goes this. I love how he says this. He says, wow, this is an amazing thing. Like, you guys, you guys have lost your mind. He says, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. The text says, no one's ever healed a man born blind. Jesus took it to the next level, okay? It's to, for, for him to heal someone who maybe became blind in their lifetime, we could say, oh, they just relapsed. But for someone who was born blind, nah, Jesus just took it to the next level. He just said, all right, bam, and they healed this dude. Okay, so they're freaking out. And this guy's saying, like, listen, you don't, you're not listening to me. Isn't it interesting? It's hard for our eyes. When, if our eyes aren't open, it's hard for us to understand how God works sometimes. 
And so he just kills it. I just can't help but think, you've ever had a conversation with somebody and years later you're like, I wish I should have said this, I should have said this, I should have said this, I should have said this. This dude nails it the first time. And so anyway, moving on from that, I mean, he, he just hammers these guys. And so he gets kicked out of the church, which is sad because this guy has an experience with Jesus. He gets hated on and gets kicked out of the church, and Jesus hears about it. He goes and meets the guy. And if you're in here and you've ever been hurt by the church or hurt by church people, know that Jesus is looking for you. He, 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 he wants to have a conversation with you because he loves you. And hopefully it's not this church. You know, we want you to have experienced God here in this place. Um, but if you've ever been hurt before, Jesus is looking for you. He wants to have a conversation with you. And what's great is he asks him a series of questions. He's basically asking him, do you believe that I was the one that healed you? Yes. But the man goes on to say something else. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He said he addresses him as Lord. So not only does he say, yes, you're the one who healed me, but I also believe that you are the Son of God. It's a powerful moment. And then the Pharisees go on to ask, uh, are, some of, are you saying that, uh, that we're still blind? And uh, he ends the passage with a, with a warning. He says, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But uh, it says, but that you say we see, your sin remains. And so this morning, I know I've been hammering through this text to try to expose what God is doing in the life of this blind man and what he's doing in the life of the Pharisees. And I want to kind of boil it down to this, and, uh, and I want us to have a time of prayer. Because if you've been tracking with this man in the story, you've been injecting your, yourself into this story, um, there's a powerful experience with God that you can have that looks just like this man. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of break it down for us, and then we're going to have a time of worship and prayer. And, and in this story, there's a, there's a warning and a welcome. Today, there's a warning to the church. Don't be haters. So many people leave the church because we've had a hard time understanding how God is working in their life and in our friends' lives. A lot of times the church imposes rituals, our religious ideas on people instead of promoting God's agenda. And a lot of times, many of us in the church live this dangerous life. And it says here at the end, Jesus addresses the question from the Pharisees and lets them know that because they claim to see but don't recognize Jesus as Lord, they remain guilty. And we know people who say, I am a Christian, I follow Christ, I know him, uh, but don't truly know him. They don't live uh, this life. And I, had, I used to preach at camps, church camps, and I had a pastor ask me one time, what's the hardest thing uh, that you've ever had to deal with when you traveled? And I would say, especially in the South, uh, you basically, everyone's a Christian. You almost have to convince them they're not before they can really be saved. And we see that a lot in the church. It's a warning to us. And I, I, I'm not ignorant. I don't doubt that maybe there's some people in this room who would say, I'd say a Christian, I'm a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home. I go to church every Sunday, but I really don't know Jesus is my Savior. The other thing is the identity of the blind man um, is a welcome. Maybe you're blind this morning. Maybe you've never experienced God in a way that you read in the text. 
never experienced God in a real powerful way where he transforms you. Maybe everyone around you has experienced God and they're talking about God and they're talking about what God's doing in their life, but you just have a hard time understanding it. Like it doesn't make sense to you. It doesn't, it's hard to comprehend. It feels kind of foreign from for you because you don't, you don't really talk to God like they do. You don't really hear God like they do. Um, you feel lost. Uh, you feel blind. You feel hopeless. You feel like you have no purpose. And maybe this morning you need an encounter with Jesus. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to be sent. And there's a welcome there. If you're like this man and you're blind and you feel like you don't really know God, you really don't know what it's like, I've been there. And you need an encounter with Jesus that's going to transform your life in such a way where you feel like you can see, you have purpose, and you experience life, and there's hope and joy. Today's for you. Jesus didn't simply give him sight. He gave him life. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for this day. God, thank you for this story. God, this story is a story of your grace and your love. You didn't walk past the blind man. You didn't spit on the blind man. You stopped right where you were, and you spoke to the blind man, and you touched his eyes, and you healed him. And God, I pray, Lord, that the people in this room who have felt blind for so long, they felt alone for so long, there's people around them experiencing you, but they've never, ever had an encounter with you uh, like that. God, I pray that today be the day, Lord, that they experience you in a powerful, powerful way, that their eyes are open, that they feel hope and love like they've never felt before. They feel freedom like they've never felt before. And God, those of us who have claimed to be a Christian, because we, whether we live in America or whatever, whatever the reason is, but we really don't have a relationship with Jesus, God, humble our hearts today. Let this be the day that, God, you transform us and you open our eyes to the truth. God, thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, the band's going to play. And uh, I just want to like open the space up to you. Like if you're old school like me and you want an altar, make this an altar right here. You can come down here and pray. If you need somebody to pray with you, we've got some friends that are going to be in the wings. And if you just need someone, you, ain't, you don't even have the words to say. You just need, you know you need Jesus. They're going to help you. They're going to pray with you. No, no one's going to judge you in this place. And if you're a person who's been living, walking the walk, you know, like kind of doing, going through the motions, you feel like you're done, but you feel lost, you feel blind, you feel like you have no communication with God. You don't even know what this is like, but you've just been going through the motions. Man, today's, there's no judgment here. Today's the day for you. We want you to experience God in a way where your eyes are open. So we're going to have a time of prayer. The band's going to play, and uh, and we're going we're gonna to worship. And if that's you, I really want to encourage you. Take that step of faith. The blind man didn't know how to get to the pool of Siloam. He didn't know where it was. The future isn't always sure. We don't always know how to take the first step or where to go, but God is faithful, and he's going he's gonna to walk with you and help you. So this morning while we worship, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's stand together. Let's sing this together. <laughs> 